high school and college, I was a, uh, a big U2 fan. Posters, banners, albums, bootleg cassettes. I may or may not have been known to wear black suede boots. It was a thing. Okay, I'm just warning you, you're, you're glad you didn't know me, and it, it was a thing. Uh, but early on, I remember hearing the song that he just referred to there at the end of that video, 40, thinking it sounded a lot like Bible, but not really sure, and uh, I learned that it was taken directly from Psalm 40, and that song became iconic with you uh, 2 ending most of their concerts in the 80s uh, with that song, uh, encouraging the crowd to sing along with it, all of these things. And Eugene Peterson, as they uh, referred to, and, and perhaps you're aware, uh, it famously translated the, the scriptures into what we know as the message, uh, and uh, he began with the Psalms, uh, clear back in the early to mid-90s. Um, trying to get, he wasn't really out to publish anything, but just trying to get his church to, uh, to be able to relate to Scripture a little bit better and to, to bring it into a modern uh, rendition so that they could really see what was going on in there. And, and maybe you have benefited from, from reading the message as you've, uh, as you've studied Scripture. It's, it's a great way, I think, to get a fresh perspective on what God is saying uh, in the Bible. Now that, uh, that video clip we just saw was taken from a, uh, a short film when Bono and Eugene Peterson met at uh, Peterson's home in Montana to uh, discuss issues of scripture, uh, specifically the role that the Psalms have played in their faith. It's on YouTube if you want to see the whole thing. I think it's about 20, 25 minutes long. Uh, those of you online, uh, YouTube may have uh, clipped it out of our sermon, so you could go to the whole thing. Uh, I don't know, they do that every once in a while and they block things if, uh, if we take them off of YouTube and replay them and all the, anyway, uh, but uh, I won't tell you that it bugs me, but it bugs me. And uh, anyway, so if you want to look up the whole thing, just uh, uh, get on YouTube and say Bono and Eugene Peterson, you can watch the whole deal. I, I think it's a, it, it's, a, it's a cool deal. But um, whether it's promoted by a global rock and roll superstar or not, Psalm 40 is, is yet another classic, well-known Psalm of David, and it's the next uh, track on our summer mixtape uh, as we walk through the Psalms. Uh, unlike last week when we looked at Psalm 37, uh, uh, scholars are, are pretty certain that this indeed was a song, not just a poem, uh, since the notation at the beginning uh, says that David wrote this, quote, for the choir director pretty good indication that this is a song that uh, that he has written so the choir director will put it to music put it into the put it into the uh, the, the the lineup for worship that week if the king sends you a song you're probably going to play it right so uh, so anyway uh, david wrote this for the choir director and today i'm going to read it from the message uh, uh, but i'd encourage you to uh, to open up in in whatever version uh, you brought with you today uh, whether that's uh, on your device or uh, or in your in your bible and I think as I read it, maybe you want to follow along and kind of compare and contrast uh, how Peterson, uh, Peterson's rendition maybe gives some fresh insights there. Uh, I also want you to see, as I, as I read this, I, I want you to see if you, can, if you can relate to some of the things that David is saying here. Uh, one thing that's, that's, I think, so great about the Psalms is, is although they were written like 3,000 years ago, we can still put ourselves in the author's shoes 
and express many of those same things from our hearts. It gives word to what we're dealing with and struggling with. Uh, God has, has been moving and working throughout generations, and he continues to do it today. And so as we read this, you're going to hear praise and concern and revenge and longing and worship and joy and frustration and, and so much more just in these 17 verses in Psalm 40. This is the, uh, the message translation, Psalm 40, beginning in verse 1. I waited and waited and waited for God. At last, he looked. Finally, he listened. He lifted me out of the ditch, pulled me from deep mud. He stood me up on a solid rock to make sure I wouldn't slip. He taught me how to sing the latest God song, a praise song to our God. More and more people are seeing this. They enter the mystery, abandoning themselves to God. Blessed are you who give yourselves over to God. Turn your backs on the world's sure thing. Ignore what the world worships. The world's huge stockpile of God wonders and God's God thoughts. Nothing and no one compares to you. I start talking about you, telling what I know, and quickly run out of words. Neither numbers nor words account for you. Uh, Doing something for you, bringing something to you, that's not what you're after. Being religious, acting pious, that's not what you're asking for. You've opened my ears so I can listen, so I answered, I'm coming. I read in your letter that you wrote about me, and, and I am coming to the party you're throwing for me. That's when God's word entered my life became part of my very being. I've preached you to the whole congregation. I've kept back nothing, God. You know that. I I didn't keep the news of your ways a secret, didn't keep it to myself. I told it all how dependable you are, how thorough. I didn't hold back pieces of love and truth for myself alone. I told it all. Let the congregation know the whole story. Now, God, don't hold out on me. Don't hold back your passion. Your love and your truth are all that keeps me together. When troubles ganged up on me, a mob of sins passed, counting. I, I was so swamped by guilt, I couldn't see my way clear. More guilt in my heart than hair on my head. So heavy the guilt that my heart gave out. Soften up, God, and intervene. Hurry and get me some help so those who are trying to kidnap my soul won't be embarrassed and lose faith. So anyone who gets a kick out of making me miserable will be heckled and disgraced. So those who pray for my ruin will be booed and jeered without mercy. But all who are hunting for you, oh, let them sing and be happy. Let those who know what you're all about tell the world you're great and not quitting. And me, I'm a mess. I'm nothing and have nothing. Make something of me. You can do it. You've got what it takes. But God, don't put it off. In the NIV, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set me on a solid rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear. For years now at teen camp, they have had a mud pit. Go ahead and there it is. Doesn't that look amazing? 
It looks so amazing that I have never participated in the mud pit. I've gotten about as close as that picture is. That's about as close as I get to the mud pit. Uh, they, they till up that uh, rectangle of, uh, of earth out in their, their little field there, and uh, they run uh, multiple hoses in it uh, starting at the beginning of the week, and then by Thursday afternoon, it's ready to go. Uh, there are some of our teens in that uh, picture, if you can pick them out. Uh, maybe I'll just leave it up the rest of the time, and you won't listen to me, and you'll just be picking that out. But uh, there's, they, they, they get it all ready. Uh, Thursday afternoon rolls around and it's time to uh, to just invite everybody in and let them play, right? And there's running and there's sliding and there's tackling and 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 afterwards there are there are bumps and bruises and people get cut from the rocks that are in there. I mean, it sounds like a great time, right? Uh, just a, a an amazing fun. People do say that it is a, an amazing fun time. They actually make everybody go straight from the mud pit to the uh, to the lake to uh, to clean off and then uh, so that they don't get all the mud into the showers and uh, and then usually whatever clothes they're wearing end up in the uh, the trash can in the uh, in the shower uh, uh, off the you know in the bathrooms there and and that's that's just it so if your your kids came home from camp with less clothes than you sent them probably the mud pit is to blame the muddy pit that David is describing in Psalm 40 uh, is is not this kind of mud pit. It wasn't any fun at all. Uh, he, he's painting the picture of a, of a hole in the ground, uh, maybe an old well, perhaps. Some commentators say it could be kind of a dungeon of sorts, uh, a slimy, muddy floor, unscalable walls, can't get out, can't get your footing. Uh, uh, the, the point isn't that it was actually a muddy pit. David's painting a vivid word picture, really, of what we've all experienced. Life takes us to places where it's hard to find solid footing and we can't hardly stand, let alone get out of those situations on our own. It could be something brought on by our own poor choices and sin or, or just the, uh, the, the circumstances of life. It's, it's uh, difficult. It, it, it seems like you'll never get out. It's hard to even stand for a second to get your bearings. Life in this fallen world has a way of taking us into muddy pits. So when we find ourselves there, what should we do? We see in verse 1 that David did two things while he was in that slimy, muddy pit. He cried out to God and he waited. When you're in that place where you don't have any firm footing and you don't know what to do, cry out to God and then wait for his deliverance. In crying out to God, you're declaring your belief that he just might be able to help. And in waiting... You're trusting and hoping that he will. I mean, there's so, I don't know. I said, I said that W word again. There's so much waiting in the Psalms. We've seen it in almost every Psalm that we've read so far. We started this thing the, uh, uh, the, the, the middle of, of June, and, and we're like, I don't know what, uh, five weeks into this, we've looked at these Psalms, and almost every one talks a little bit somewhere about waiting on God. Again, the, the NIV says that first line of Psalm 40, I waited patiently. It's, that, it's the same word. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we, we looked at Psalm 27, and the last, uh, the last verse says, uh, wait patiently for the Lord, be strong and take heart and, and wait for the Lord. Uh, and, and it's the same word that, that David uses here. Uh, we t- I, I told you then, it's, it's a word that, that's kind of a hopeful anticipation. It's not just, okay, I'm just waiting, whatever. But it's this, I know something good's coming, and, uh, and I'm going to trust that it's coming, and so I'm anticipating but I know I have to wait in the meantime. It's not here yet. David is looking here, looking forward to God's intervention. And and, and yet, okay, so we're hopeful about it, but it's not easy, right? And and you saw how Peterson uh, translated this in verse 1. He says, 
I waited and waited and waited on God, for God. At last he looked, finally he listened. And, and then the last verse, verse 17, he says, and me, I'm a mess. I'm nothing and have nothing. Make something of me. You can do it. You've got what it takes, but God, don't put it off. In other words, I'm sick of waiting, right? Uh, it's not fun and game. Waiting is brutal, but I think that something uh, that, that, that's something that, that, that the Psalms give us. A raw, real way of talking to God. Have you ever known a King James prayer? Not prayer, a person who prays in the King James language. King James is the old-timey uh, version of the Bible, right? And, and many of you uh, uh, read that, and that's great. But uh, I, I'm talking about the guy who, you know, you're hanging out, and everything's cool, and everything's fine, and you're, you're you know, just going through life, and, and everything's great. And then it comes time to pray for the meal or to, to pray in small group or something, and, and all of a sudden they kick into, Oh, thou gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we beseech thee that in thine great mercies thou shalt... And, and you're going... Where did King James come in the door? I, I thought you were, and now we're, and, and, and maybe you know, maybe you are that guy. I, I'm not making fun. All, I, all I'm saying is that if you spend any time in the Psalms, you're going to see that it's okay to be real and vulnerable with God. You don't have to have all the right words and phrases. Just cry out to God. Let him know that you're a hot mess. Did David say hot? He didn't say hot mess. He said, I'm a mess. But I think that's what he, I, uh, express your frustration and having to wait. God, don't let me wait anymore. Uh, and then after you express yourself and, and you're real with God, follow David's example and, and you still trust him because he loves you and he's listening. David, David experienced God's rescue. He was lifted out of the pit, out of the slimy place where he couldn't get his footing. He was put on a, a solid, stable, uh, a firm foundation. And the imagery there is just crystal clear. You can picture that in your mind, someone being lifted to safety and, and, and taken from the sinking sand to the solid rock. And, and we make songs about it and, and, and all the things. And it's easy to get that, that picture in your mind that, well, if, if God's just going to pull me out of all my problems and, and all my troubles and, and set me on that, that solid rock where life is smooth and easy. I wonder if there's more going on here, though. Uh, we've already seen it in, in the past psalms that we've studied, and there are many other instances of, of uh, uh, where the psalm writers, uh, David and others, depict God, their Lord, as the solid rock. He is the solid rock. He is the firm place to stand, right? Uh, so Psalm 40 is not necessarily a promise that God is going to rescue, out, rescue you out of all of your messy problems but that he will be your solid foundation no matter what is going on in your life. I'm not saying that he doesn't or won't intervene in your problems and rescue you from trouble. I mean, so many times he does. We see evidence of it throughout Scripture. Uh, you can testify to it in your own life, how, how uh, uh, things were crazy and, and God lifted you up and, and intervened at just the right times. And, and yet we need to know that troubles will not disappear as we live this life on earth. And it's actually a promise that Jesus uh, tells in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. Uh, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's... There will be times and circumstances when it will be easy to get sucked into the slimy pits of fear and worry and doubt. And, and we look to human wisdom and ingenuity to, to, uh, uh, to, to, to find the answers and we come up short. 
David testifies here in Psalm 40 that we don't have to live there in those pits of fear and worry and doubt, that there is a solid rock foundation on which we can stand no matter what's going on in the world around us. That solid rock uh, isn't just, oh, now it's wonderful circumstances. That solid rock is God himself, the one who turns to us and hears our cry. And that gives us, David says, that gives us something to sing about. One of my, uh, one of my favorite uh, stories from uh, author and pastor Max Lucado is when he talks about a little parakeet named Chippy. Maybe you've read that in, uh, in one or more of his books. Uh, maybe I, I'm sure I've uh, shared it before, but uh, it goes something like this. Chippy, was a, the parakeet, never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage, the next he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. The problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage, and then the phone rang, and she turned to pick it up, and she barely said hello when (laughs) Chippy got sucked in. The bird owner gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum, opened the bag, and there was Chippy still alive but stunned. And since the bird was covered with dust and soot, uh, she grabbed him and she raced to the bathroom and turned on the faucet and held Chippy under the running water. And then, realizing that Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hairdryer and she blew him dry. Lucato says, poor Chippy never saw what hit him. A few days after the trauma, a friend called Chippy's owner to check on the bird and see how he was doing. And, uh, and she replied, well, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. And I wonder if maybe some of us can relate to Chippy. Maybe life has stolen your song. Maybe time down in the muddy pit has robbed you of your joy. David testifies here that that God's presence and God's deliverance, the God to turn to him and heard his cry and lifted him out of the mud onto the rock, that, that God's presence and his deliverance resulted in him singing a new song. He sang praise to God. That reference to a, to a new song is all over the Psalms uh, and, and even other places in Scripture too. I'm sure that, uh, that some well-meaning worship pastors over the years have used verses like this to, to justify getting rid of the hymnals because those are the old songs, right? And so we're going to sing. And I think that's probably twisting what, uh, what uh, David is talking, here to, uh, talking about here. But, but as I kind of wrestled with this concept, what is a new song and what are we talking about here? I, There is no command in Scripture to sing old songs. Sing an old song to the Lord. That doesn't mean they're bad. It just means that God doesn't have to remind us to sing the old songs. That comes naturally. You, you no doubt have your favorite songs that go through your mind all the time. Maybe they're, uh, you know, uh, uh, great Christian classics or, or songs that have meant something to you in the past. Maybe, you know, it's, a, it's an old uh, rock and roll classic that, uh, that you had on repeat when you were in high school. You have the songs that come back to you, and they get stuck in there sometimes, right? I, I know from walking through this week 
uh, man, I was reminded of that song, 40, by U2. It is going through my head right now. It has been for about six days and probably will for another 60 because I, uh, it's one of those songs that just kind of gets on. Re- we don't have to be told to sing old songs, to, to rehearse the memories of, uh, and, and the good experiences that we have of the past. It's natural to keep singing about what we know, to, to sing about what we've experienced. Maybe not sing, but tell about what we've experienced, right? We, we, it's natural for it. We don't have to be told to sing the old songs, but we don't know the new songs because God is still in the process of writing the new songs. New songs spring from new experiences with God. It's easier to, to hang on to past experiences with God. Maybe back in the good old days. God is always moving and working in the present. He is always doing new things. Uh, Of course, we need to celebrate the past and we remember what he has done. But we also must live in the present with him and experience what he is doing and anticipate what he is going to do. It's easier to get comfortable with what God has done and settle in there without pushing into the future of what he's is doing, and is going to do. Because God is always up to something. Maybe you know that. God is always, I know you're not an amen in crowd, but God is always uh, doing something. Can I have an amen? Hey, there's like, wow, okay, you're there, good. Uh, God is always up to something. When you experience his work on your behalf, when he turns you to, to you and hears your cry, rescuing you from the mess you're in, then David says, man, sing about it at the top of your lungs. Praise him for it. Don't let the slimy pits of this life steal your song. Let God keep putting new songs in your mouth. Songs of praise to him. There's a great thing that happens when when we do that, when we're not quiet about what God has done and what God is doing, what God is about to do. When we're not quiet about all that, it influences the people around us. It's no secret, Uh, I I think you probably are aware, Uh, it's printed everywhere, Uh, we talk about it a lot, that around here, we live to love people to life. It's uh, who we are, it's what we do, it's what I hope you're doing, it's what we're we're praying for. Inherent in that statement is, is the fact that our spiritual experience is not just about us. Right, I'm not just, uh, it's Jesus and me and we're getting as close as we can. Sure, we need to be getting as close as we can to Jesus, but, only, uh, but, but also so that we can love the people around us and help them get close to him too. It, it's, it, we're here to have a spiritual influence on the world around us. David talks about that throughout this psalm. Uh, he's, he's talking about singing, he's talking about sharing, he's talking about testifying, and, and people start listening. Verse 3, it says, many will see and fear and put their trust in him. Uh, verse 9, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. Verse 10, I do not hide your faithfulness and your saving help. And he continues, I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness. David's letting everyone know what God is up to in his life. For him, that looked like singing. He was actually singing. He was actually writing songs, like this song that we're studying right now. He's writing that as a response to what God has done in his life. He was actually, and some of you are creative enough to do that. I'm, you don't probably want to hear me write a poem or a song. It's probably not going to be that great. But, but how are you uh, allowing God to say his word, to sing his song through your life? Whatever that looks like in your life, the the message is clear. We can't keep God's saving works to ourselves. 
We have to let everybody know. And, and that should be happening naturally if we're living in, a, in an up-to-date relationship with God. If we're, if, if we're stepping into the new thing that God is doing, if, if we're living a relationship with God that, that uh, you know, uh, it's not that, oh yeah, I, uh, I prayed a prayer uh, a couple of, couple of 20 years ago and, you know, I'm going to church and stuff. <sighs> Or are you living and breathing a life with God and he's guiding and directing your steps and, and you're opening scripture and he's speaking to your heart and, and, and he's, he's molding and shaping and, and helping you to say no to this and, and, and yes to this and, and are you living in that up-to-date relationship with God? We've got to be anticipating the work of God in our lives and then celebrating when it happens. I guess maybe that's a way to, to summarize all of it. Anticipate, wait patiently for the Lord and then when he acts and moves in your life, celebrate it. When you do that, it's going to be contagious. See, it's, it's not up to you to convince other people to believe. That's, that's God's job. He is the one that reaches into slimy pits and pulls people out. You're not reaching into slimy pits, slimy pits and pulling people out. Uh, it, it's his song in your mouth. We just have the joy of singing and leaving the results up to him, of, of not keeping quiet and allowing him to, to reach other people through those testimonies. Your, your song your song might be part of God's plan to lift someone else out of their slimy pit. I mean, they need to hear about a God who hears them, a God who turns to them, a God who loves them, about a solid rock where they can stand. Your song might just be what God uses to lift them out and set them on a rock where they can sing their song. I think that God is in the business of building a choir on the solid rock, and it might just start with you. You might be the first voice in that choir. Sing your song loud. It's interesting, I think, that as we walk through this psalm, 17 verses, we get, we get uh, two-thirds of the way through, and then it kind of takes a little turn. And, and it's interesting that by the end of the psalm, David isn't testifying anymore about God's deliverance. He's crying out for it again. And, and it looks like we're ending in the same place where we started. We're still waiting on God. I mean, the last words of the last verse, God, don't delay. Don't make me wait anymore. I waited and waited and waited over there. Now I'm waiting again. But we have to realize that that really, by the end of the psalm, as we've walked through the progression of this song that, that, that David has so masterfully put together, we're not in the same place where we started. We're not in the slimy pit anymore. Of course, David is still waiting on God. He's anticipating God's divine work, but he's crying out from a place of solid footing. He's not in that slimy pit. He's still declaring that God is his help and his deliverer. And because God gave him a song there, he's anticipating what this next song's going to be. You are always going to need to cry out to God. But you don't have to stay in the mud and the mire and the slimy pit of doubt and fear and despair while you do it. You can live on the solid rock foundation and the assurance that God is listening. He sees you. He hears you. He's thinking of you. He's with you. Now, we gather here physically in this place or, or uh, on the computer, wherever you are and whenever you're logging into this, but we come from a lot of different places. And again, not just, not just geographic places, but a lot of different things that we're walking through in our lives. We come in and we, we look good. Did I say, I haven't said that today. You look good. You really do. You look good. 
Some of you thought I was, maybe there was something special going on because I put it through a tie on, right? Some of you are wondering, what's, what's, when's the other shoe going to fall here? Something's happening, right? Still got my jeans on. Don't worry. We, we come, we, we dress up, we, you know, get, comb our hair, we, we, uh, we, we step out, we go to church, we be with, with, uh, with God's people in, in God's house. We, we do all that from a lot of different places. We don't talk too much about the fact that we're a hot mess and we need, we need God again still. We don't know what's going to happen with this. We, we don't know what these circumstances are. Uh, we don't know why we slipped up and made that mistake again. So we step in here and we put a smile on and we enjoy church and shake hands and usually the conversation doesn't drift to, to those kinds of things. This needs to be the place where those conversations happen the most, right? Because God uses your song to encourage someone else and someone else just might need that push to say, yes, God does hear. God does love me. God wants to do his work even in my life. There was a famous preacher, as famous as they come, famous preacher uh, back in the 1800s. You probably haven't seen him live. A couple of you maybe. No, I'm just kidding. Charles Spurgeon, uh, mid to late 1800s, a prolific author and a speaker, and uh, I mean, everybody knew him. A lot of his sermons are published. If you want to go, uh, go check him out, I'd encourage you to do that. But, but uh, he wrote, uh, they've compiled a devotional book. Uh, maybe it was actually him that compiled the devotion. Part of one of the readings I want to read for you today, and it could just be that there's someone or someones within the sound of my voice that needs to hear these words, now 150 years old, and yet these words I think are for us today. I think we need to hear, as Spurgeon said, there is one who cares for you. His eye is fixed on you. His heart beats with pity for your woe, and his omnipotent hand shall bring you the needed help. The darkest cloud shall scatter itself in showers of mercy. He, if you are one of his family, will bind up your wounds and heal your broken heart. Do not doubt his grace because of your tribulation, but believe that he loves you as much in seasons of trouble as in times of happiness. He has never refused to bear your burdens. He has never fainted under their weight. Come then, soul. Say goodbye to anxiety and leave all your concerns in the hand of a gracious God. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire and set my feet on a solid rock, gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Psalm 40 tells us, cry out to God. Let him know what's going on in your life. Be real, be transparent. Let him know you're a hot mess. And then trust that God already knew. He sees you 
and he's with you through it. Anticipate his work on your behalf. And as he sets you onto that solid rock, sing your heart out. There are people in your life that need to hear God's song through 